And that was the voice of Leonard Ravenhill, uh, one of the greatest revivalists of all times. I'm going to continue today in the same vein, uh, preaching what the Lord has laid on my heart about prayer. If you will stand with me all over the room, we're going to be reading two verses of Scripture, very familiar uh, passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. From the New King James Version, the Word said, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. I want to preach to you for a few moments today a message I've simply titled, Return to Prayer and Power. If you will, pray with me and for me today. Father, we just thank you once again for your presence. Lord, we pray today for those that are sick and cannot be here with us. Lord, those that are quarantined and are not able to be here, we pray for them. But God, for those that are here today and those that are assembled together online as one with us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your presence we've already felt and experienced here today. We thank you for your word. And God, I'm going to ask you for the next few moments, Lord, that you would remove every distraction and every hindrance that would uh, keep us from hearing and receiving what you want to speak to us to bind through your word today. So God, I'm asking you, Lord, to move me out of the way. Decrease me till I'm nothing, that your Holy Spirit may be increased within me. God, I'm asking you to anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what thus saith the word of the Lord. Lord, to the the worldwide church today, but specifically to this local body of believers. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do in and through your word today in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said... Amen. You may be seated. This passage of Scripture that I just read this morning took place on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a day shortly after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, which is the third person of the triune God, the third person of the Trinity... Uh, I have to clarify this sometimes when I teach Connect 101, which is uh, a new membership uh, class for our church, that our doctrine of faith, our declaration of faith says that we believe in one God eternally existing in three persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost was a day shortly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but this was when the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, came down to indwell believers. Now this was foreseen and foretold by some prophets of old, Old Testament prophets, and though they likely, uh, it was likely considered by many people in that time as an idea that was almost too good to be true, that the Lord would send His Holy Spirit to indwell believers in that day. And I'm sure that some people heard the words of the prophet and they thought, well, maybe from time to time that God found a special vessel like Elijah or uh, another special vessel like King David that he would be able to fill with his spirit. But that's not for me. I'm not 
worthy enough. I'm not holy enough. That's just for the important or just for the select few. I'm sure that was the thought of many believers of that day as it is the thought of many believers of today. Yet on that day, on the day of Pentecost, it was as if the Lord Himself was saying that may have been what it was like for a season back there, but now it is for every person everywhere. According to this verse of Scripture, the promise of God's Holy Spirit and the promise of God's power is also to all those who are afar off, which means uh, it, it was not necessarily those who were just in close proximity uh, to, the, to the believers who were praying in the upper room in Jerusalem that day. It was not only to those that would be found in that day and that time, but it was to all those who are afar off, those who will be born and live much later like today and even later than today, those that will be thousands upon multiplied thousands of miles far removed from the city of Jerusalem. What that means is, is that this promise that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself was speaking about that day through Peter on the day of Pentecost is that this promise is to you, it's to me. It's to your children, it's to your grandchildren, to all those that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, this was clearly, uh, how clearly the Lord spoke about this through the prophet Joel. If we go all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Joel, chapter 2 and verse 28, Joel is foretelling of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Joel 2 and 28 says this, And it shall come to pass afterward, say afterward, that I will pour out my Spirit on all, say all, all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. If they'll leave that passage of Scripture on the screen for just a moment, tell me this morning, does that passage of Scripture leave anybody out? Is there anybody in the house this morning that's not a son or a daughter? We're all either a son or a daughter. Can I get an amen? That was weak. Folks, I realize we're living in a day and time where we think that people can choose. But I can prove to you through simple biology, we're all a son or a daughter. Can I get an amen this morning? We're all either old or young. And if age is relative, I'm going with young. Now listen, here's the way I feel about the society in which we live. If it is okay and it is acceptable for folks to identify themselves as the opposite sex and be a transgender and they identify, listen, I'm dealing with a uh, college student who has to, uh, he doesn't have it in his room thankfully, but he's got a buddy who has a transgender for a roommate a buddy that he's made at college, and he has to use that guy's, uh, or that whatever, uh, pronoun of choice because his pronouns of choice are she and her. So that's what has to be used uh, because the, he identifies as a woman or as a female. He's a transgender. Well, you know what? I've come to a conclusion that if that's legal, and if that's acceptable, I don't want to identify as a transgender. I'm perfectly happy to be a man. Can I hear an amen from some men this morning? Perfectly happy. Well, 
Would y'all rather be women? Can I hear an amen from some men this morning? Listen, my future son-in-law is praising the Lord back from the sound booth, lifting his hands back there. But here's what I want to do. If that's acceptable and that's legal, I think I'll start identifying as 67 years old. Anybody with me this morning? I'm going to identify as 67 and march myself down to the Social Security office and say, sign me up, baby. I'm eligible. Right? That wouldn't get me anywhere, would it? I want to tell you again this morning, let me reiterate, we are all sons or daughters. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Now, that's what the Lord is saying here. In this passage of Scripture, we're all sons and daughters. We're all old or young. And what the Lord is doing is He's leveling the playing field for everybody. He's essentially saying, whoever calls on me, I will fill them with my Holy Spirit. Now, what would be the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Well, as Pentecostals, we know that the Word said on the day of Pentecost, suddenly there came a sound as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And cloven tongues, like as a fire, set upon each of them, and they were all, say all, all filled with the Holy Ghost and the very next statement said and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So we know and we believe that the that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to testify to you that I did not used to believe in that. Uh, it was not something that I had experienced. But when I experienced it for myself, there was no denying the authenticity. Somebody help me preach this morning the genuineness uh, and the authenticity of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the initial evidence was speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. So that's my affirmation to the initial evidence. But while I'm there, let me preach to us Pentecostals for just a few moments. Can I do that? Speaking in tongues is not the only evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the initial evidence. So if all you do is speak in tongues, don't be so sure that you're full of the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of mean people who speak in tongues today. There's a lot of folks who aren't right with the Lord who speak in tongues today. But in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we read that you shall receive power, the word said. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, or when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and you shall be, this is the, the evidence, you shall be witnesses, say witnesses, to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the end of the earth. Now notice that God did not say that we would become argumentative about Him with people. No, that's not what it said. It said that we would be a demonstration of His power. The verse continues and says, And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the end of the earth. In other words, you shall be a witness for me everywhere and in all places at all times. Hello, somebody. You shall be a witness for me everywhere to all people in all places at all times. What are you talking about, Pastor Sean? That means that just when you're in the house on Sunday morning is not the the only place that you should be full of the Holy Spirit. You should be a witness when you're anybody in here like your pastor who has road rage. Open confession, anybody? Got a few. You should be full of the Holy Ghost when somebody cuts you off on the, oh, on the interstate. 
You should be full of the Holy Ghost when you get bad service in a restaurant. Somebody help me preach this morning. You should be full of the Holy Ghost when that person that you can't hardly stand to be around on your job pushes your buttons. Hello, somebody. We are to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ to all people in all places in all times. Can I tell you this morning, that takes power with the Lord to be able to do that. But what an incredible promise of the Lord. The early church clearly walked in this promise. They lived in this promise. There was evidence of divine power in them. The Bible says the disciples began speaking in other tongues and there was a sudden witness of God that accompanied that. And onlookers acknowledged that they were all Jews who could not have learned all of these languages because the Bible said each one heard them in their own language. And this was something that only the power of God could do. What a glorious beginning for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Acts. But yet when I go to the book of 2 Timothy. Paul describes in 2 Timothy a type of religion that would develop in the last days. And it was one that he said, uh, and I didn't put this one on the screen, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 said that in the last days there would be this type of religion. It would be one that has a form of godliness but denies its power. In other words, many people would settle for an appearance of belonging to Jesus Christ while in reality abandoning God's intended purpose for their lives. What are you talking about, Pastor? Sadly, much of the church in America today seems to be a prime example of this. We have settled for just being churched as if attending church on Sunday morning is enough. You know what? It's good. It's a great thing to go to church. But yet, when you compare the church that I see today with the church that we look at in the second chapter of Acts, we fall way short. Somebody help me preach this morning. We fall way short of God's intended purpose for His church in this earth. In fact, Paul describes this type of powerless religion as the peril of the last days. What are you talking about, Pastor? I told you last Sunday. You can say that you love Jesus all day long. You can attend church every single Sunday. But if you're still living the same way you lived before you profess salvation, if you're still going to the same places, doing the same things, covering up the same sins, then I'm afraid you have not experienced a regenerating power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's not enough to just name the name of Jesus in this life. It's not enough just to attend church every Sunday. But God give us a people who will cry out to God and say change us, fill us, and endue us with your power. Yet in the last days, there will be a perilous time. I think it's pretty safe to say, and most of you would probably agree with me this morning, that it looks like we're living in the last days. Now, I know that for a lot of us, whether old or young, in this room today, you've heard that preached your entire life. But if we're not living in the last days, we're a lot closer than we used to be. 
to live in the last days. And there's all kinds of peril around us. But the peril that the Apostle Paul is talking about is the existence of a testimony that's so utterly devoid of the truth, the truth of God, that ultimately men and women will end up in hell forever. Folks, I'm afraid the church, the church as we know it, is doing the world an injustice by not preaching the truth under the power of the Holy Ghost. We are leading people astray, making them think that they are okay and on their way to heaven, when in reality, their lifestyle is contrary to the Word of God. We can say we love Jesus all day long. We can attend church every Sunday. But if our lifestyle is contrary to the Word of God, then we need a change in our lifestyle. Hello, somebody. I believe that's the greatest peril that people in our society are facing today is a religion without power. A lot of people have a religion without power. So what brought about this type of powerless religion? If we look at the verses just prior to that, uh, in that same chapter, we can see what happened. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's read verses 1 through 5. Paul said, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. I want to tell you, much of our teaching in the church in America today is self-focused. It's all about me. And a lot of it, in a lot of places, is about money. A lot of televangelism will tell you, give a dollar. And you'll get a hundred back. Or give a hundred and you'll get ten thousand back. I want to tell you something this morning. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. The Bible tells you to bring your tithe into the storehouse. So if you're sowing it into a televangelism ministry trying to get rich, you're doing it contrary to the Word of God. What you need to do is turn that garbage off. Somebody help me preach this morning. And I'm going to call it exactly what it is. Turn that garbage off. We, folks, listen, we need to get back to biblical Christianity today. But the verse didn't stop there. It goes on to talk about boasters. You know, I've noticed in the church world today particularly, and I love, I love old music, I love new music, I love old worship, I love modern worship, but I've noticed in some of the modern worship uh, world today, uh, there's, this, uh, there's this boasting thing that they're talking about. They, they boast and they brag that 
we oh we stood in the presence. I mean, I've heard some of the testimonies that's on YouTube before some great songs, even even some songs that you probably know and like today. There's nothing wrong with the songs, but all this boasting and bragging. We were recording this song and we stood in the presence of a holy God, and I believe God's presence fills our atmosphere. But I want to tell you something: when that's actually true, you'll end up on your face in the floor before God. You won't be bragging to people, oh, there was so much power of God. Because what happened in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah found himself in the presence of God? What did Isaiah do? He said, woe is me. He said, I saw the Lord. Uh, He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And he talks about the cherubims and the seraphims worshiping him. And he said, when he realized he was in the presence of the Lord, what did Isaiah say? He said, woe is me, for I am unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst an unclean people. I want to tell you something this morning when the church truly gets in the presence of God we won't be boasting and we won't be bragging it'll be each man for his own and finding our place to say oh God woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips woe God woe is me for I need you when we truly get in the presence of God it'll convict us so you can't get people in the church convicted today because nothing nobody does is wrong And as long as we stay out of the presence of God, we'll still feel that way. Oh, but when His presence fills the temple, we'll begin to cry out, Oh God, we'll begin to recognize the sin in our life. I want to tell you something. I have heard, particularly probably from the the holiness and some traditional Pentecostalism movements, which is fine, I've heard a lot of preachers even boast and brag about the number of days, weeks, or even months they've lived above sin now I pondered that a lot I've got a news flash for you this morning I hope I don't disappoint anybody I've pastored this church over eight years I don't think I've made it a week yet without sinning I fail the Lord all the time but you know what I don't ever want to get to the place where I boast and brag about how holy I am Because this ain't about how holy I am. This ain't about how holy you are. This is not about making the church happy. This is about making the church holy. Because when the church is holy, then God is happy. It's about recognizing how we fall short. But in the last day, the Word tells us there'll be boasters and braggers. Those that don't fall short. I'm going to move on from there. Proud. Proud. Pride. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents. I hope all the parents that didn't hear me at 845 are hearing me now. You should not let your children tell you what to do. You should not give your children the right or the choice to not do what you told them to do. Disobedient to parents when I was a child KC's already laughing he didn't even know me when I was a child when I was a child and I back talked my mama she'd pop me in the mouth anybody have a mouth popping mama in the house this morning nowadays what do children do I've heard it with my own ears I'll call social services 
I'll tell my teacher or my counselor at school, and they'll call social services. Let me tell you, I don't even remember which one of them it was. One time, one of my children told me they'd call social services. It made me so mad. I said, let me tell you something. Go on upstairs and pack a bag. And I picked up my cell phone. Why pack a bag, Daddy? Because you don't have to call them. I'm going to call them for you. And when they come, they're going to take you away. And you're going to live in a foster home somewhere. And you'll be, you'll be wishing that you did what I told you to do. But uh, go ahead, go upstairs and pack you back. Now, now Daddy, you don't, you don't have to do that. Oh, yeah, no, you're going to call social services. I'm going to call them for you. Let me tell you something, parents. It's time that we become parents and raise our children in the ways of God. We have created a society that tells children that tell their parents what to do. Children that get, everybody's got to get a participation trophy. Garbage. Hogwash. If you're not a winner, you're not a winner. If you want it, work for it. Earn it. And then when you win it, then you'll be rewarded. But not until then. We've created a society that feels entitled and they feel uh, enabled and they can get anything and everything they want and nobody can tell them what to do. Unruly and ungodly. But you know where the buck stops? With the parents. Now I know some parents are not happy with me this morning. And you shouldn't let your children talk to other adults in a disrespectful manner either. Unthankful. Has anybody else ever seen a generation anymore unthankful? Unholy. I'm going to go back to the parents again. I said it at 8.45. If I hadn't said it, then y'all be off scot-free because it wasn't in my notes. But now I feel like it's only fair that I say it to you too. I've actually heard it. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't care if all the girl clothes are made with tops that only come to here and dresses that come up to here. Just because that's all you can find doesn't give you a ticket to raise your child to be unholy. They make t-shirts. They still make blue jeans. I've heard it, folks. I've heard it all. I've seen it in the church. Oh, we went shopping. I couldn't find anything that didn't, that didn't, that didn't come down this low or didn't come up this high or, or didn't come up this high. And then you've got girls running around raised in the church showing everything they've got. And we wonder why they get pregnant before they're uh, out of high school. We wonder why somebody picks them up and rapes them. Hello, somebody. We wonder why they're attracting uh, stalkers on social media because they're out there exploiting their bodies on the Internet. And it's not just girls it's boys too my lord why do boys want to wear skinny jeans to start with it's got to go back to the original question of deciding who you are I guess I don't know I started to say something I'm glad I didn't Angie just said yeah please don't do it but anyway unholy listen I'm not a clothesline preacher you know that this is not the church where you have to wear either dresses to here or sleeves to here or, or I'm, I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about holiness before the Lord. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control. Without self-control. God help us that we live in a society 
that celebrates people who are without self-control. Paul said, it'll be that way in the last days. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure. Can I tell you, the Constitution of this country states that everybody has the undeniable right to lie, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Most of you know that. And those are wonderful words, but can I tell you, that's the Constitution of a secular nation. Unfortunately, this idea has been adopted by the church as well. Everything's all about my life, my freedom, and my pursuit of happiness. Much of the house of God now is all about me, my life, my liberty, and my pursuit of happiness. And what we're actually saying is let the rest of the world perish as long as I'm happy, as long as things are good for me. But you know what? Paul continued that passage of Scripture, and you know what he said? From such, turn away. Let me put it this way. Turn away from being that kind of person. Turn away from being somebody who simply seeks a form of godliness with no power in it. No compassion. No willingness to obey God. No desire to live righteously before the Lord. Uh, In verse 7 it went on to say, Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always learning, yet unwilling to be led by truth. It's it's those who say... uh, Wait, Lord, don't call me just yet. I'm, I'm still learning. It's like when Jesus instructed the people to be good to their neighbors. There was this, if you know the story, there was this lawyer that came up to Jesus with the ridiculous question. He said, well, who exactly then is my neighbor? In other words, uh, I, I'm trying to figure it all out. Uh, I'm trying to figure out who my neighbor is. But I want to tell you something. Uh, your neighbor is everybody around you. God has given all of us a, a uh, Christian obligation to treat everybody like Jesus would treat them. Did you hear me this morning? We're not allowed to select and pick and choose who we shine our light to and who we go postal on. Somebody help me this morning. God has given us a Christian obligation to be a witness for Him to all people in all places at all times. And when we do anything less, we're not being led by the truth. See, the truth will always lead you to a life that is surrendered to the purposes of God and a life that's filled with the power of God. That's how the early church started. Regardless of how things may look now, I believe, I believe that the church will end up that way again. I believe we'll see a revival and I believe we'll see a spiritual awakening amongst God's people. Did you hear me? Why are we praying on Monday nights, Pastor? Because before we ever see a spiritual awakening amongst unbelievers, we need a spiritual awakening amongst God's people. And I believe when we experience a spiritual awakening amongst God's people, we'll rediscover our identity as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in these last days. And we'll once again live with conviction. We'll once again believe that with God all things are possible. And we'll understand and we'll have an incredible inheritance and that our salvation uh, is, is the first step. But then power through the Holy Spirit of God is the next step. And the promise that's to you and your children and your children's children 
I believe it's going to be rediscovered pretty soon. I believe that it's going to be re-experienced pretty soon. And you know what? All of the programs, all of the productions, all of the great music and all of the outreach and all of the things that we can do to try to reach people and draw them into church. Can I tell you something this morning? Nothing will draw them in like the power of God and a praying church on fire. Nothing will draw them in more than the presence of God. It makes it effortless on our part when we're just hungry for more of God's power. Hungry for more of God's spirit. Uh, There was an old preacher that said, son, if you'll just catch on fire, they'll come from miles away just to watch you burn. Oh God, I would to God that the church, those who are really part of the church of the living God, not just those who fill a pew or warm a seat on Sunday mornings, I would to God that the church, the real, genuine, authentic church would get so hungry for another outpouring, would get so hungry for another infilling of the Holy Spirit that we wouldn't settle for anything less until God's power falls upon us once again and when he does I promise you God will send them from the north, the south the east and the west and they'll be like they were in this passage of scripture, they'll say what do we need to do to have power with God like that what do we need to do they'll be hungry but not until not until the church returns to prayer and power it began, I'm going to close with this with 120 people it's not a huge number 120 people who simply knew that without God nothing was going to happen can I tell you in the church today outside of God nothing life changing is going to happen 120 people who knew that without God nothing would happen and they gathered in an upper room and what did they do they prayed yielding themselves to God and he filled them with his Holy Spirit and then when they stepped out into the marketplace they had a power on them to be witnesses Do you realize they encountered thousands of people, thousands of people who were going into the temple to learn things about God. They come out of the upper room and they encountered thousands of people who were going into the temple to learn things about God. But suddenly on the way home, those people met 120 people who had met with God. Can I tell you there's a big difference between the two? Are you just learning about God? Or are you hungry to meet with God? Because in our nation, I believe we've been learning about God for years. In our churches, we talked about the character of God, the mercy of God, the father figure, the father heart of God. Constantly learning things about Him and all of those attributes are true. But when we're done... We've done everything except meet with God. When you meet with God, when we meet with God, we'll be transformed by His power. They'll come to the music this morning. Those 120 people were just ordinary. Those 120 were just ordinary disciples. They didn't have big diplomas on the wall. The Bible tells us that the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees always 
prided themselves in being more educated. They perceived those people as ignorant and unlearned. The Bible said that even the Pharisees were astounded by the power and the wisdom with which they spoke in Acts chapter 4. The only thing that they could say about those disciples was, quote, they've been with Jesus. Oh, God, I wish the community around us could say of our church, they've been with Jesus. When the other folks who were out and about learning about God encountered the 120 who had been with God, they said to them, what do we have to do to have that kind of power with God? We saw in our opening scripture that question is what had been asked when Peter said, that was his answer that we opened with. He said, repent. Repent. Folks, asking for forgiveness and repenting are two entirely different things. It's good to ask for forgiveness for God to forgive you. Repentance is when once you've been forgiven, you get up from that place of forgiveness and you turn. And you say, God, if you'll help me, I'm not going to do that again. That's repentance. According to the scripture, when they did that, 3,000 souls were added to the church that very day. 3,000 people who had already been doing the best that they could to be godly in their own strength. 3,000 people who had been learning about God, but they noticed the people who had actually been with God. So if you'll stand with me all over the room today, what must you and I do in order to get the power of God? First of all, we've got to return to the full purpose that God intended for our lives on this earth, and that is to be witnesses of who He is. That requires willingness and humility. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verses 24 and 25, He warned us there would be those that that would mock and that would ridicule. He said, A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? In other words, he's saying, when you really get with God, you're going to be mocked and ridiculed. I know that There's folks that will say, oh, that's not really necessary. I know that. But they don't know what you and I know. And when they do experience it for themselves, they'll say it it is necessary. But regardless of what the world may think, there's got to be a resolve in the heart of the church that says, I don't care what it costs. I want to do more than learn about God. I want to meet with God. So the question really today is, knowing that the promise of the Holy Spirit is to you, it's to your children, your children's children, the young, the old, the strong, the weak, the educated, the uneducated, the question is, do you really want it? Do you really want the lifestyle that accompanies it? Are you willing to walk the pathway that it will lead you down? And here's the summation of my message today. I'm preaching return to prayer and power. The prophet Jeremiah, closing with this in Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. 
Here's what he said. If you will return, O Israel. You know who Israel represents? The church. Not the lost. The church. If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. And you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. If you're willing today, I want to encourage you to go before the Lord in humility and ask God to fulfill his promise in you. With every head bowed and every eye closed all over this room, if you're sitting here today, you say, Pastor, I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. I beg you, please, don't leave this place today without coming to this altar. Saying yes to Jesus will be the best decision you've ever made in your life. You don't have to leave this place without Him. You don't have to clean yourself up before you accept Him. He'll do, you just accept Him today, He'll do the rest of it. Don't leave this place today without accepting Jesus. But if you also, and you're here today, and you want to be the church that returns to the power of God in these last days, then I want to tell you something. Before we do that, we've got to be a church that returns to prayer. So they're going to sing, and this altar is open, and I promise you today that your return to prayer will equal a return to power with God. So I want to encourage you all that will find a place in this altar. If you're physically able to kneel in this altar and pray or find a place at your seat and kneel and pray as they sing this morning, I want you to get along with God and say, God, fulfill that promise. 